I'm so excited to have Matthew Barron here all the way from Shanghai, a filmmaker, writer, and curator. And his film, Extravaganza, which explores Shanghai's drag scene, is his first documentary as director. This was filmed, I believe, in 2018. No, I'm going I'm to be wrong on that. 2014? <laughs> We, 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 filmed, we filmed it in 2017, uh, in June 2017, and it came out in uh, early 2018. And it's confusing because I had only learned about this film recently, somehow through, I guess, some sites that are showing Chinese films, uh, independent films. So I'm very excited that I've stumbled onto this because I honestly did not hear of this before, even though it was a few years back. And so I'm very glad that you're I'm here with Crystal, us. Now. I'm so sorry. Someone's knocking at my door. Okay, I'll pause. I'll, I'll pause. All right, brief pause, brief interruption by the mailman, which is all very normal and good to know that you have interaction with outside. Um, Matthew, <laughs> I know we're gonna be talking about this uh, film of yours, Extravaganza, but I also wanted to start off with you being a foreigner, a British expat in Shanghai right now and being there during COVID and all these kind of crazy times. Can we talk about that first? Like, first of all, how did you get to Shanghai? And then what's like being in Shanghai now? Um, so how did I first end up in Shanghai? Um, I sort of, sort of a happy accident. Um, I, I had very briefly, uh, lived and worked in Hong Kong. Um, and I, That's I, where I, I lived. There for, oh, no way. Where, where in Hong Kong did you well, live? Well, I was there for like 25 years. I mean, it was everywhere. Oh, everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I was, Crystal, I was there for, I was there for a year and a half and I also feel like I lived everywhere. I had something like five apartments in 18 months. Uh, so I got to see the great and the beautiful. And I, I really loved, I really loved uh, living in Hong Kong. I think it's an amazing city. Yeah. Um, made some it really was. wonderful things there. Yeah. Um, but uh, ju just for uh, uh, not being able to find a job that I enjoyed. So I was like, I'm kind of a little bit uh, frustrated by my work situation here. So I left for a little while, had a reset, and then um, I'd originally hoped to move to uh, Taipei. Uh, but ended up ended up in Shanghai instead, um, and yeah, I've been here uh, for the most part since 2014. Um, left back to the UK um, uh, and arrived back in Shanghai maybe five months before the pandemic uh, started. Uh, so yeah, um, and, and haven't haven't left since. Um, so we spent we spent the beginning of the pandemic. Um, in Shanghai, very scary and uncertain time, um, but things got alive and kicking again really quite quickly. I, I would say it, it only really was about two, maybe two and a half months uh, that we were experiencing uh, the sort of very heavy kind of lockdown, very concerned about what's going on. Um, but yeah, life returned to relatively to normal. Um, I mean, we have uh, the the Delta variant is yeah. making rounds in different parts of the country at the moment, um, but thankfully Shanghai hasn't been uh, touched by that. Uh, we we've had I mean we we get sporadic cases of COVID, but apparently not the Delta variant right. um, here at all. So there hasn't been another lockdown, extreme lockdown, like it was when it first started in China. None at all. None at all. And I mean our situation. Um, 
is, is I, I think Beijing is experiencing some cases, um, but is similarly like things aren't too bad. But yeah. Um, yeah. control measures are a little more stringent in Beijing than right. Shanghai. Right. So everyone, everyone is still wearing masks here. Yeah. Um, you know, people are very conscious of that right. kind of thing, which uh, which uh, I'm very grateful for, and I think is very yes. good thing. That You know, people should be wearing masks. Yes, thank you. Can you say uh, that to the um, Americans? Because we're still going through this debate. People are still on a I mean, political level questioning whether. Yeah, be I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm from the UK, and similar, similar debates and confusion are happening there. Um, although my understanding is that in the in the US, um, it's it's being handled a little bit better than it is in the UK. So uh, yeah, masks. I mean, it's it's such a simple thing. Yeah, I know. It's such a fundamental thing. Well, you so you know, I also think maybe you would understand this also from a um, international perspective is that China has a more collective way of thinking about things, you know, and America is mm. so individualistic that when it comes down to the simple thing of a mask, you know, a, a lot of Americans think, okay, well, this is my choice, and that was the biggest argument of all and, and 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 that self-righteousness comes into play in in a not necessarily productive way because we're not thinking about the whole and sometimes we criticize asian countries like china for that mass collective um mentality where it reduces you to you know stripping your individual personalities out of the picture so there's that pro and con yeah. issue going on and it's playing out during covid which is really interesting I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 I, that, I, I would agree with you there. Um, I mean, the other, the other thing that I've noticed is, I, I, I think, so it's been, it's been fascinating for me, um, uh, fascinating is such an odd word, but um, w- one, of the, one of the things of uh, experiencing the pandemic here is um, that different friends have talked about their memories and experiences of SARS, and particularly friends yeah. who, um, friends who I know from Hong Kong, And uh, friends I know from Beijing. Yeah. And um, I, it, it struck me that the the memory and the experience of having gone through something like SARS is still so recent and fresh mm-hmm. for the majority of people. And you know, I, I I I think that also plays into it. Yes, certainly there's the the collective uh, uh, collective identity and the the sense of responsibility that comes with that. Right. Uh, but I think also just you know having that moment of being able to say, okay, this happened just under 20 years ago. Like we know how bad this can get. Right. And, yeah, um, it's true. I was there. I was in Hong Kong during that time. I remember when they oh, put all the plastics over the elevator buttons, and that was like a new thing at that mm-hmm. time. And that they say that yeah. they're going to sanitize it every hour. You know that sign was always. Um, on on those spaces, but for yeah. the young generation, like you say, or in America, you know, this is like a first deal thing, and we're not sure how to deal with this, and we don't really, I don't think we recognize the extent of that, um, the concerns. Anyway, I didn't want to go too far off on the COVID thing. I think I want to pull it back to <laughs> your film, but it is related because you know you made this film a few years ago, and if we had mm. COVID, you would not have been able to shoot this really interesting film about the drag scene in Shanghai, correct? Mm. Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, again, to be clear, like thing, things went pretty much back to normal um, quite rapidly here. So yeah, it might have been, yeah. if it happened at the time of the show, maybe it would have been postponed, but I mean, they, there's still, um, the queer community and you know the queer cultural scene in Shanghai um, is is still um, doing its thing um, and in fact the the Pearl Theatre the venue um, 
where we shot Extravaganza, uh, will be hosting their first ever Chinese language uh, drag show. Usually oh. the shows, even even though they have a mix of what well, you see in the film, it's a very international yes. uh, collection. Um, uh, but there's, you know, there's, there's a really vibrant scene of uh, local Chinese uh, drag performers who are absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, somehow this is the first time that the Pearl has done a fully Chinese language one, uh, which is really that's exciting. Really interesting. And it's, it's actually a surprise that that's the first Chinese language performance, a drag performance that you mentioned, um, because that was one of the first things I noticed in your film was that even when you have Chinese characters, in you know mm. the Chinese um, performers is they would still personify a, a more of a Western influenced character or mm. and everybody yeah. was speaking English in it even though you knew maybe that the native language wasn't so I I wonder I mean we can address this from a transnational perspective and we can talk about you know your influences of Asia in your life and maybe just the scene of Shanghai being so globally you know it's just so blurred this the space mm. but um, my preconceptions of drag is a western concept and is it i mean correct me if i'm wrong like where does it come from what are the roots of it and how did china you know get stimulated by this whole idea of drag um i mean so i I can only give my perspective and please please don't take this as an authoritative um like this is the true answer because i'm sure there would be people who might have a different point of view um but i i i I mean obviously there's there's a huge richness to any uh gender-based performance in cultures uh and peoples around the world um so you know if, if you reduce the concept of drag to its very basics as being a gender performance, um, then I don't think it's really that uncommon. Um, you know, and we, there, there are, when we talk about the more Western concepts of drag, you look at, um, uh, we talk about roots within uh, uh, trans or gender non-conforming, non-binary um, communities. And, you know, there's some wonderful histories coming out of uh, the United States, some great studies. There was something I saw recently about um, uh, uh, trans men or non-binary mask people uh, in the Old West. Uh, someone was promoting this book um, of uh, oral history uh, right. recently online. Um, I mean, for China, we, you know, I, I think, I think even with the most basic understanding or knowledge of sort of film history in the country, a lot of people know Farewell My Concubine and have sort of a sense of um, the, the cross-dressing history within, right. um, within opera. Um, and I guess in a, in a way you can, I mean, I, I always compare it, things to the UK um, just because that's my sort of background experience. But, you know, if we, if indeed it is true that the word drag comes from Shakespeare and dressed as a girl and the Elizabethan oh. theatre and uh, female uh, women um, and girls not being allowed to perform on stage, um, you know, th- th- there's a sort of parallel there in, in terms of drag. But I think within what, what's fascinating to me about um, opera is, uh, even though we might not necessarily... Uh, consider it to be drag. Um, there is still the element of cross-dressing, but I think more importantly, there's the element of, of gender play, you know, whether a character is male or female, there's still the heightened sense of gender through makeup and costuming and so forth, which I think is, is fascinating. Um, 
In terms of like what we are sort of thinking about as drag at the moment, um, it, the influence of RuPaul is is okay. everywhere, of course. Really? Um, so in China, that was also a big influence on. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, so uh, in the in the film, um, we uh, there's a couple of the queens. I think uh, Miss Jade and also uh, Mandala. Mm. Um, or possibly Wu Yan. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, <laughs> uh, they, they, they talk about, you know, being inspired by watching RuPaul's Drag Race right. um, years ago. And, you know, I, I, I have uh, friends who are drag performers, drag artists, who also talk about that influence. Um, certainly it's not the origin, but I think, you know, the, the, the global influence of that show are sort of, foregrounding and mainstreaming drag. And there's a debate about whether or not that's a positive or a negative thing. Right, it's exactly. certainly been an inspiration for a lot of people. Sure. But, but then I think like, so going back to the idea of like Western influence, um, you know, this there is a Western influence there, um, but I think it's perhaps reductive to say that, um, that uh, Chinese drag artists are only informed by the Western influence of RuPaul's Drag Race or, you know, other drag artists. There is exactly. a there's a fantastically vibrant scene of uh, performers around the country, many of whom, you know, uh, uh, China is massively tech savvy. And for all of the um, all of the difficulties that can be associated with being online, with uh, censorship issues and so forth. Oh. There was a hugely influential um, uh, presence of uh, particularly drag queens, um, whether uh, whatever their, their personal gender identity may be, um, online, uh, doing makeup tutorials, having fans and followers, oh. doing comedy, this kind of thing. Um, it was interesting, that stuff passes the censorship, whereas yeah. something that um, maybe from a pop culture point of view of something that maybe I, I heard like piercing, you know, like they have to blur that out from boy bands or there's just like funny yeah. ways of how they select what is, you know, suitable for people to watch and not. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, maybe we should, it's time for a quick break, but if people are sure. listening right now, I am talking to Matthew Barron, who is a filmmaker of this really fabulous film called Extravaganza about the drag scene in Shanghai. So when we come back, I'd love to dig a little bit more into the Shanghai drag culture and the idea of performativity of gender, gender as you had mentioned briefly, but there's so much to unpack there. So let's not go away. All right, welcome back. I am talking to Matthew Barron, the filmmaker, the director of Extravaganza. And Matthew, I just wanted to say, originally we had um, included uh, Will Dye, who was supposed to be he, uh, here to discuss this in this film with us. Uh, he's the, correct me if I'm wrong again, he's the cinematographer and the producer of Extravaganza, correct? Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we uh, so Will is, Will is my partner. Um, and also a member of uh, the CinemQ Collective. Um, Can you which... tell us what the CinemQ Collective is for people who don't know? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, CinemQ is a queer screen culture collective. Um, we, uh, our, our kind of main activity is we run what I guess in a way could be described as a film festival. And uh, we often do call it a film festival uh, just because people tend to pay 
slightly more attention to that word. Um, but we, we run uh, a variety of uh, screenings of short films, thematic programs of queer short films uh, from around the world. We do about six of these screenings uh, in Shanghai uh, every year. And our, our, our approach is, I think we're, we're a little bit different to um, a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a little bit different to a lot of these kind of events um, in that we're very heavily curated. Um, so we sort of start off with a theme, um, a, a topic that we want to uh, discuss with people. Um, so this could be, sometimes it's very generic. We've had screenings that we've titled Flora, um, which was um, one of our, one of our uh, collective members, Ting Ting, put together, um, where she was just like, you know what, I want to do something that's inspired by the visuals of female genitals. Um, so <laughs> lots of flowing, flowery images and so forth. Um, and we, but we also do very kind of serious and focused ones. Sometimes they might be on um, drawing attention to uh, trans and non-binary stories. Uh, other times uh, we've done a focus on uh, queer perspectives within the climate crisis. Uh, we did a program earlier this year uh, on uh, queer experiences of plagues and pandemics, uh, sort of combining stories from COVID with stories from the, HIV, the height of the HIV AIDS uh, epidemic. Uh, so that's our, that's our kind of main activity. So we host these screenings in different underground bars um, and venues around the city. Uh, and then we always have a party afterwards. Of uh, different queer DJs. Rather than, rather than doing a, a Q&A or a sharing, um, we like to sort of create a space where people can just relax, chill out, have casual conversations and have a bit of a dance. Uh, but then we also, uh, we published for a few years a webzine um, where we were uh, writing uh, uh, about queer Chinese and East Asian uh, cinema, TV, uh, other screen cultures, and also sharing Chinese perspectives on global queer screen culture. Um, and then through the pandemic, we started to put out a live stream talk show uh, through a wonderful local collective called Shanghai Community Radio, who really... Uh, uh, who really helped to uplift the community, not just the queer community, but the, the kind of uh, Shanghai community uh, in a general sense uh, at the height of the lockdown here. Um, so yeah, we, we do multiple activities and then Extravaganza, uh, we produced as our first documentary. Right. So we're, we're, we're a small group of people, um, but a, a lot of us have a, um, some kind of background in film. Um, so yeah, and... I, I lost my thread slightly there. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So yes, you do have a background in film and I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, so you have done several um, projects as a writer, director, um, and but this is your first one as a documentary filmmaker, is that correct? Um, yeah, my, my, my job actually, I, I, I do work uh, professionally in documentary film um, here in Shanghai. Um, but yeah, this is the, the first uh, documentary that I've directed. Okay, so you know the idea of documentary in um, revealing truths. I mean, quote unquote, because it's a very precarious thing, right? I mean, especially yeah. now, I think the ways in which documentaries are made compared to the old kind of fly on the wall style is very mm -hmm. constructed. Um, 
And, you know, going back to the idea of performativity on so many levels, because we'll go back to the performativity of gender, but I was thinking of the before, you know, you're filming the backstage of a performance that is about to happen, or maybe is concurrently happening, but your focus is completely backstage with glimpses. And I love that because it's like you feel the stage next to you. It's that liminal space in the theater where you're in the Mm -hmm. wings and you can feel the energy on stage, but you're not focused on that. You're focused on the context to the whole show which is a very interesting space right because um often in especially for something like drag that's such based on spectacle is you know you want to see that performance but the performance backstage is something that you chose to focus on can we talk a little bit about that um and why you chose not to include the actual performance yeah i mean there may be little glimpses of it but not like a full-on right Sure. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a uh, the the decision to make this documentary only happened uh, about two weeks before the performance that it focuses on. Um, so we um, uh, Will and I are uh, we both are friends with a lot of the performers uh, who are featured in the film. Um, uh, quite a few of them have long since left Shanghai to different places Um, but we still stay in touch with them Uh, but uh, I had I I was having a coffee with uh, Miss Jade who is sort of our narrator and guide to the film and uh, Fantasia and they had been talking about they were they were telling me about their experiences of being approached by photographers who wanted to do art projects with them and they were saying um if I recall uh, exactly correctly, uh, they were saying that, so this was often uh, photographers who were uh, foreigners to China who would approach them and they're like, oh, you know, I want to take like three photos and one of them, it'll be like you on the street, like half in the shadows in drag and looking sad. And there'll be one with you half in and half out of drag and it'll be showing how you're oppressed and this kind of thing. Oh. And they were, they were telling me about this. And uh, I mean, drag queens, when they're angry, are very angry and not. <laughs> uh, but no, they were, I mean, they were they were telling me about this, and they were saying, you know, what what really upset them about this was the the perception that you know, people coming in with an idea about who they are and what their experience was, and the way I think it was Miss J put it was, you know, when we're backstage, it's all about our sisterhood, our you know, uh, uh, our being together, our collective, and. It's also a very joyful experience and we don't like these projects because they misrepresent us. And um, I, I mean, I can kind of see what, what they mean. There's a, a, a drag performer a friend of ours, uh, Beaverhausen, uh, who is Chinese. And she uh, recently had a similar kind of experience. She was telling me like, I think this is something that probably happens a lot. There's, there's certainly a perception of, oh, you're, you're queer in China. Uh, your career in Chinese, you must be so oppressed, so unhappy. Uh, I, I've, I've heard comments from people when I've been in the UK about, oh, you know, it must be so difficult. Like, um, and certainly there are problems, but I think you have to be realistic. And I think also more importantly, you can't come in, particularly as an outsider, and make assumptions and put your own narratives onto people. And if you, if you truly want to be, first and foremost, an ally, um, but I think also like a, a good storyteller, a good you know, artist, however it is you want to define yourself within these kind of projects, you have to listen, you have to observe. Um, so the, the, the film basically came about because we, um, uh, we said, well, 
why don't we go backstage and we'll we'll film this and i have no idea what we'll do with the footage but we'll shoot it and i mean it was <laughs> we 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 uh had wanted uh a couple of the, the queens we were asking them if they would mind coming and performing at one of our cinema screenings anyway so we said well maybe you can perform and we can film some and we'll screen some little bits and it'll sort of be a nice interactive thing for the audience um not knowing it would eventually evolve how how it did um so yeah, we 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 uh, were backstage with them, and it's funny. You had, wait, sorry, just to back up. So when you went in there, you only had two weeks before you knew you were going to be filming backstage. You didn't really have a concept of how the story was going to be structured. You just nope. shot. We just shot. We just shot. I had I had in my mind that we weren't going to film anything that was happening on the stage. We weren't interested in filming performances. Yeah, that's what great. We wanted- what we wanted to capture was specifically the backstage, the the joy and the rehearsal process. I loved that the moments when they were rehearsing without some without makeup and some with full makeup or without costume or half. And it's just a really interesting glimpse into that world and the process because I think that this this the world of you know performance is really about process, and and you're yeah. showing us a process, and it's really yeah. an interesting. What I, I, I think on, on on the question of process, I mean, I think. Uh, uh, one thing that's also fascinating, and I, I believe Miss Jade mentions this very early on in her in her narration, um, that so th- this was the day of the performance they were rehearsing, and it was the only time they had to rehearse oh. together. And this is this is typical of those shows. So I mean, the uh, the, the they they they're all working queens, right? Right. Well, have, that's the reality, they have, right? They sure. all have jobs. Um, yeah. I mean, I th- I think. It, it's it's easy to forget sometimes um, with these queens and queens wherever you know like they look fabulous they look so gorgeous oh, yeah. and they look gorgeous because they have scraped and they have worked themselves to the bone and they have you know honed their craft and so forth to turn something cheap into something really expensive fabulous I know. Um, and of course, you know, having <laughs> Taobao really makes a difference. Like, <laughs> Thank God for Taobao. So Americans who don't know what Taobao is, it's that online equivalent to, I guess, um, Amazon that you can basically order anything you want and for lots of very, very reasonable prices and be shipped to you from wherever you are, which is amazing. Yeah. Yes. It's, oh. it's fantastic. It does a world of good for the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Um, wait, but okay, there's so many things I want to, insert in in this area of your process because you mentioned earlier about the photographer who wanted to they have this constructed image you know they have this preconceptions Mm. coming in of what it means to be drag in Shanghai maybe the oppression or or whatever psychological damage was involved in that person's creating of that 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 persona or whatever um it it makes me think about um you know, I guess it's also a more general comment, but the idea of the Western gaze on Asia is also at play, right? There's this kind of mm-hmm. um, objectifying of, of, in your case, it's drag queens, but um, in a more general sense, like, you know, the hypersexuality of Asians, for example, like from, from the States, you know, what I'm, I'm coming from is all these recent um, violences against women because of these concepts of the body that are mm-hmm. kind of constructed through this kind of um, Eurocentric, mm-hmm. male-centric gaze, if you know where I'm going with this, right? Yep. Yep. And so and, how does that come And of course, the, 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 the flip side, of course, being that, you know, uh, uh, women of East Asian origin being hypersexualized and then 
men being desexualized. Exactly. And then yeah. you complicate it with this drag show because the idea of trans is really, again, going back to this in-between space, it's like, you know, going back to your idea of the performativity of gender is that, so where, how does a, how does a drag queen construct their image or, or their character? I mean, that's just a really fascinating um, area that I would like to explore, but maybe we need to take one more break because I want people to wa- be hungry for more. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Matthew, Matthew Barron, uh, filmmaker, director of Extravaganza about the drag queen drag scene in Shanghai. It's, it's really, it's so fascinating. It's so, oh God, there's so many things to unpack on it, but let's come back to it. And we can talk more. I'm back here with Matthew, filmmaker of Extravaganza, who is in Shanghai right now as we speak, and talking about the Shanghai scene, the drag scene there, and just the kind of um, queer community in Shanghai is really an interesting topic in itself. But you making this film about the back stage or this the behind the scenes, um, the process in this performance is really um, has opened up so many questions in my head. And so my head's spinning now. So forgive me for being all over the place. Um, But let's start back with the idea of gender as being performative, because we're talking about, as I said before the break, um, you know, the, the, the drag queens creating their own personas. And based in your film, they're more Western influenced characters. Maybe you can talk about or, or give examples of a few of the characters and why they chose the persona that they had created for themselves and what mm-hmm. those influences might have been. And how does this kind of maybe tell us about why gender is such a constructed notion? Oh, okay. <laughs> you really feel the heavy one on that. I've got to think about it now. My head is spinning. Um, I mean, uh, I, I, I think first, uh, just for the reference of uh, listeners who, who haven't had the opportunity to see the film, which I think will be potentially quite a few, mm-hmm. um, there, uh, there are 12 performers uh, featured in the film. And I'm trying to run off in my mind. I may get these numbers wrong. Uh, there are four of the performers are uh, Chinese. Uh, there is uh, one performer from Indonesia, uh, one from South Korea. Uh, there are two from the United States, one from the UK, one from Russia, uh, two from Brazil, and Ooh. I feel I may have missed someone in my body <laughs> to whoever that was. Um, but see, that's yeah. already something. It's so international, and yeah. that really says something about Shanghai to begin with, right? Yeah, I think it's. I, I mean, I think it's it's fascinating, and it, it's also important to say. Like drag, drag has existed in Shanghai in different forms for a, a long time. Um, and what was kind of being talked about within the drag community uh, of that time was that this, um, a lot of the performers felt, was the first time that the show had been, uh, a, a drag performance had been sort of taken out of the gay bars in a massive way. It was going to be the largest, the first really, truly big drag show that wasn't within a an explicitly queer space and I, I would say I think there's an argument that the Pearl Theatre where uh, where the show took place uh, is a very queer space in and of itself they they host a lot of queer events um, but this was the first kind of big time and uh, the show was you know uh, very much a collaboration between all of the performers uh, but it was the the brainchild of uh, Miss Jade 
Tell me a little bit about Miss J because she come, you know, has a. You say she's Chinese from, mm -hmm. but but she, you know, she seems more international. Like, what's she, the background? Uh, she, she she's she's Chinese from China. Um, she wow. she actually since the um, since the documentary was completed, um, she emigrated to Canada. Um, and I actually haven't spoken with her in a while, so I, I'm not sure she's she's uh, still there. But uh, yeah, she's doing okay. good. She's I see her photos on Instagram of her performances. But yeah, she um, the the narration uh, that we filmed, we shot the movie. She didn't really tell anyone she was going. Uh, she kept it a, a surprise until <laughs> about a week before, and uh, then was like, "Hey guys, I'm leaving. I know you all love me, so wow. I didn't want to panic you." And um, oh. uh, and so the the narration we we actually filmed uh, about five days before she left. It was wow. a bit of a rush to hey, let's do this. I I I, I had been a little bit lazy with my editing. Um, oh. so <laughs> wow. I'm glad that we got her before she left. Yeah. No, uh, uh, Miss J very much Chinese and very very oh. proudly Chinese. Um, I mean, I think I I I think there's. Um, Again, speaking speaking not as a Chinese person, so please with a with a pinch of salt. But from what I've um, from conversations I've had from listening to Chinese friends um, who who are perceived as being more international because of the the accent of their English or the kind of the way they dress or the communities that they move around with or their art or whatever it might be. You know, these are these are all still valid expressions of. Chineseness, and it's interesting mm. sometimes. I think um, I, I I get the sense that there's more of a tendency from people who are not Chinese to question the Chineseness of people who are like that. Um, I, and I, I I don't know why, but you know whether it's just not fulfilling some kind of back of the mind concept of what China is and what a Chinese person is like, and oh, your accent should be a certain way, you should be interest in certain things and you know even going back to this photo project that inspired the film like you should be oppressed you should be miserable because right. you're queer in China and you know there, there are as much as there are you know a million different ways to be an American um there are there are you know so many different ways of being Chinese um, yeah no and that's such an interesting question an important question of you know what does it mean to be Chinese or what is Chinese-ness um, and from your perspective and, and understanding or lack of understanding, you know, of, of how we kind of have these preconceptions that are very problematic. And so um, and then I, I find myself trapped in that myself. So, again, but Chineseness is also a, like gender. Um, it, it is performed. Right. Because it's like, OK, so how do you how do you want to come across? Right. Do you want to come across as something um, more international or what what certain influences that you want to see in your your personality? Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess as well, there's there's, there's a sensibility of um, being able to play with other people's prejudices and ignorances in order yeah. to get what you want which is you know which is not to say that people who are oppressed um or marginalized in any way are at an advantage because of course they're not but um yeah i, I mean there's there's many fascinating intersections and they drag is is a a really cool way of sort of bringing those together and challenging those yeah. kinds of yeah. yeah. So going back to the, the you know personalities, the characters that they created for themselves for the performance. <laughs> Where I mean, we started, yeah. <laughs> well, just maybe pick one or two to 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 talk about because 
how and you know them as a person and so what mm-hmm. they put onto them to to play with if you will um do are they use ten i mean i guess this is a gross generalization too is to ask whether they tend to be somebody more far-fetched from their own personalities or you know, like a comedian who masks themselves and want to go far away from who they really are or yeah. or is it some inner kind of personality that they wanted to draw out you know what how do we make yeah. sense of that I mean I would I I, I mean I, I I have been fortunate enough to sort of know and be friends uh with um the majority of the performers in the film and um from my perspective, I, I think that a lot of what you see as their persona on stage is really not that different from their persona in real life. Okay. You know, um, the, the um, you know, Miss, Miss Jade, um, and I hope she'll forgive me for saying this, is a bit of a gobby bitch sometimes. <laughs> you know, she's, she's, very, um, she's very straight talking. Uh, she's very direct. She's sometimes a little bit crude. Um, but you know, with a with a very big heart, and you you don't see her so much on stage, so we're backstage, but you hear some of her introductions, and you know it's her job to go out there and speak to a drunk room of uh, three hundred people. I think there were in the audience that night. What and, um, ethnic makeup were in the audience, or age, or what? Give me an idea of who were. Uh, mostly, mostly, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't have a particular count. Uh, it was very, very mixed um, in terms of ethnicity, um, uh, but. Uh, age group um, I'm not sure probably mostly under the age of 40 Um, so uh, I I also base this slightly on you know when I've been to other uh, drag events there but I mean sometimes sometimes that place will uh, it'll be almost entirely Chinese Um, it really depends on the way it's been marketed the way it's been branded there is some I mean there is of course the issue as you know the pearl um, the Pearl is a, a beautiful venue and it costs money to keep it going. And so the ticket prices at a venue like that, of course, have to be higher, which is a barrier to certain groups of people. So how, uh, how much was a ticket? If, can you give me in US dollars? I do not. <laughs> Get your calculator I out. I, well, no, I don't remember that, oh. but I'm just going to take a look. Let's see if I can find the flyer. And while you're looking for it, I'm going to just comment on the idea of drag being kind of caught in with the whole capitalist consumption idea of living, right? Because again, you need to have the means to, Mm. and and even if you are on the low end and you find ways to scrape by the ways to put yourself together for this performance, you still have to have the means and also where you take in that influence from media and where this is access and it's all comes down to kind of a capitalistic society, right? Yeah, totally, totally that. And I, I, I mean, there's also so many, so I'm still flicking through trying to find this bloody poster. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, bear you, with me. If you ever find it, just tell me later. <laughs> and I'll, I really, I'll I really want to be able to give a, like an accurate number of what this next upcoming show would be. Uh, oh, well, it's just interesting because, you know, there's the high end and low end of... But if you, if you, you know, you, you, uh, it, it would be, you'd be talking about uh, maybe uh, 180 to 250 renminbi for a ticket to go in. Okay. And then you know, the price Let's of your drink and so forth. 
I'm not sure what that is in US dollars uh, exactly. Divided but, by like, God, I don't know the exchange right now. I only know in Hong Kong, it's <laughs> seven point eight to a dollar. <laughs> I'm going to Google this for you, Crystal. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Somebody out there, please tell us. And, and while you're doing that, um, if you are listening to this right now, I'm talking to Matthew Barron, the director of Extravaganza a, about the drag scene in Shanghai. So yes, Matthew, tell me about the cost of a ticket to see a drag well, show. So just on my very scientific Google there, I think um, I, I, I think you might be looking at anywhere between like 20 and $27. Um, I, I'm going okay. to give you that range because I'm, I'm, I'm just remembering ticket price here. Right. But I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is one venue. Um, and as I said, like, you know, this is a venue that is, uh, obviously they've got their own costs, their staff, it is a large venue, but it, you can't ignore the fact that there is, there's always gonna be a barrier um, whenever you start charging for something. Um, and I think that there are, there are a good number of people uh, within the community who are aware of this and who work, um, work towards making things accessible. I mean, one example I would give, uh, an organization started by uh, Fantasia and Dorian T. Fisk, um, a queen and king who were featured in the documentary, but then continued on by uh, many other uh, drag artists in the city, uh, uh, an organization called Deconstruct, uh, who run free drag workshops where they wow. would teach everything from how to cover your brows and apply a good lip to how to develop your drag king persona to how to use props and so forth. And, you know. This is online or is this in person? Is this in this Shanghai? Is, this is, yeah, this is in Shanghai. It's in person. Um, they, yeah, they've been a deconstruct. In fact, the very first screening that we did of this documentary um, was part of the their launch event. And uh, it was, thank you very much to Dorian T. Fisk for saying I'd love to screen the documentary at our event because Great. otherwise I, I really needed a motivation to finish editing this. <laughs> yeah. Project. And uh, yeah, so that was our first screen. That was wonderful. But um, yeah, no, uh, organizations like Deconstruct. And I, I think one thing that's great about that is, again, people see queens on stage. They, they know how much money they're spending to get a right. drink or you know, get tickets sometimes. And I think they, they don't always necessarily realize that the, the artists themselves are not being paid that much. Yes. Um, okay. it, it can be, obviously it varies. And in this particular instance, I don't have exact numbers. But I know that there have been issues in the past, and I'm sure Shanghai is not by any means unique in this regard, where um, queens are being, you know, they're, they're either being paid in, well, I, I don't hear so much about being paid in drink tickets here, but a very low salary, or um, drag kings are being offered less money by the same venue. Oh, to do that's really thing. interesting. So yeah. gender equity, even within that Small community. Yes, exactly. And I, I mean, I will, I, I will very much give credit to, um, you know, I, I, the, there are, uh, the performers really came together a few years ago. And uh, in my understanding, um, not unionized, but I think you can kind of see it as unionization, basically saying like, look, you need to pay the kings the same as us. And there are, there are far fewer drag kings um, here still. Um, right. But, I, I Can we talk a little bit about drag kings? Because that's yeah, also, cool. again, a, a lesser topic when it comes to drag, because the focus tends to be on, on the femme body, on the, on the mm -hmm. sexualized body, where most people's perceptions is, oh, I see, you know, when I think trans, I think like all these voluptuous and just, you know, just sexualized, but in a, such a fun mm -hmm. way in that way. But the drag king is a very different way of looking at, uh, uh, at drag. And you mentioned, uh, what's his name? Dor her name, Dorian? 
Dor- uh, Dorian Dorian T. Fisk. Um, so. so- he he <clears throat> uh, he yeah. was one of the, there was Dorian and uh, then there's also NSFW. Uh, so Ennis is from the US and Dorian is from Ennis. the UK. Okay, so I remember Dorian in the film because he was the one with the beard mm. um, and spoke with a very high voice. So I was actually confused for a moment. I tell you when I watched it, I thought there was like a dubbing or something. Like when when he spoke to the camera. I yeah. thought there was like a play on that, but I didn't realize. So it was a really interesting, confusing moment for me. Dorian, Dorian is an absolutely wonderful individual. Um, they uh, they come from a uh, uh, so they go by Dorian uh, in and out of drag. Uh, so Dorian uh, comes from a uh, theatre and performance background, anyway, oh. um, and. Um, and yeah, I, uh, once they started doing drag, so they, they um, were, I need to backtrack slightly. I should talk about Ennis first. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Ennis, Ennis is, uh, I mean, we could talk in more detail about Ennis's drag in a moment, but I think um, one of the things that I, I was really glad we got, you know, when we talk about personas and so forth, they yeah. said a lot of the, these artists are the same on and off stage. Um, what what you don't always get when you're watching a performance versus what this person like in real life is um, sort of what they give back. And Miss Jade was certainly someone who gave back a lot um, in terms of the the efforts that she put in in producing and organizing these shows. Um, but someone else who's extremely important and uh, is is NSFW, who um, is is such a wonderfully um, supportive and encouraging person. I don't know whether Ennis would refer to uh, himself as a drag mother or a drag father, and it has this wonderful kind of interplay of genders as a as a king. Mm. Uh, but I think Miss Jade says in the film, like Ennis was one of the first people who put um, her in drag. And for Dorian, Dorian was very much the dra- uh, the drag son of NSFW. So Dorian had been working, I think, doing backstage work at the Pearl, and then um, started putting on the drag character, but still just to work backstage. And a lot of people would see, it'd be like, Dorian looks like such a cis het man um, in drag. The the illusion is real. And yes, I I, I get exactly why you- (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like we need to put a clip of uh, parts of that in our um, conversation so people can share. So maybe you yeah. can share a little and I'll show it on our K2H Facebook page. But if people are listening now and not knowing what we're talking about, we are talking about the film uh, created by Matthew and your partner Will um, on extravaganza, the drag queen, the drag scene in Shanghai. Um, let's take one more quick break. We'll come back and I know we've got so much still to go to talk about, but we'll try to wrap it up. And um, Matthew, feel free to kind of, you know, inject whatever information you want that I haven't asked. Okay, so we'll be be back. Welcome back to my really brilliant conversation with Matthew here talking about the drag scene in Shanghai through the film Extravaganza. And we were just talking about uh, Dorian and... Ennis, if you said that, if I said that clearly, uh, these two two of the performers in the show, um, you mentioned something really interesting that I never thought about before is kind of the family structure within mm-hmm. perhaps your community in a sense, you know, not just for the performance, but even in the larger queer community is how 
family structures play into the relationships. Like you said, somebody's more like a mother and one person's like the son, you know? So it, it's really another layer that we don't think about um, and, and what connects people to each other, right? Cool. And the influences of structure still. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah talk mean, about uh, Dorian. Oh, okay. Well, uh, gosh, go back. So all of, uh, yeah, what I was saying about Dorian, Dorian was first in, uh, in drag sort of working the backstage and yeah, just the, the, the confusion of Dorian's illusion, I think is fascinating. And from conversations with Dorian, I, I think, I think, uh, he finds it just as hilarious that he's, he was telling me he's performed in, um, performing gay bars before, and then would have, um uh gay identified men come up to him and be flirting with him and um despite as you said having a more feminine sounding voice people just would not clock him standing right in front of him and would just see him as a cis man which is right. which is fascinating as you know uh th this kind of very masculine very um very uh convincingly cis male uh, character that Dorian has created versus NSFW, who is very dandyish, very much, uh, very much a drag king, uh, but mixing in uh, sort of a very high femininity. And I mean, you, you see them in the film, but I, well, I would say with all of the performers, um, certainly check, you know, find them on Instagram. Um, they're, they're, it, it's so cool to me to see how these performers who were already great at the time we made the film have sort of, you know, their careers are uh, sort of exploding and advancing in really cool ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, like seeing, big, big up to the drag kings because drag kings don't always get as much attention as queens. Right. So we go and check out NSFW and Dorian T. Fisk. Okay, so, you know, again, you know, there's such a spectrum of um, mm. Not, not just um, gender constructions, but personalities and, and different, like, but I don't, I almost want to watch the film again before we discuss this is, you know, the different characters that they portray. But I have a picture of this, uh, of going back to Dorian is, you know, he kind of looks like a construction worker and you don't expect that in a drag show as, <laughs> as, as the performer. I don't know why we have these and why is it that we tend to see um the the dominant kind of um spectacle is that the broad right that 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 trans woman with the big lips and the big hair why 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 does that become the kind of quintessential image of drag and how do we kind of it's sort of yeah. the, the idea, the idea of um, sort of a drag queen presenting herself convincingly as a cisgender woman being the sort of illusion or, or, or sort of a very much going for a distinct idea of femininity. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think, though, that isn't necessarily drag. I mean, certainly, certainly there's in general uh, going back to RuPaul's Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race very much pushes this idea of, of, of a convincing female illusion as being what drag is. Um, but I, I think that's a gross understatement of, you know, what drag, what drag can, can be and, and is. Um, you know, there's... Yeah. You get performers, I, 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 I always, um, I, well, I was looking on Instagram the other day um, or something and uh, photos of Juno Birch, you know, and that wonderful um, 
lavender skinned alien character, I think is oh. a wonderful way of messing um, uh, messing around with people's perceptions because they're, the, the character is someone who wants to um, be presented as a highly feminine housewife sort of plucked right. out of the 1950s, but is also actually a lavender skinned alien who is trying to perform this gender identity. And I think that's a that's that's such an exciting sort of deconstruction yeah. of my It's notion. like a performance of a performance, or there's just so many layers. Really, there's so but, many layers to it. And you know, I think, I think, yeah, sorry, sorry Matthew, I was just thinking like, you know, the idea so people have seen that other documentary, older documentary, Paris is burning. And I think a lot of people like to compare um drag shows, you know, referencing that older documentary. And in that um, film, what was interesting is that they were talking about how a lot of the influences into their persona as a performer was mm -hmm. based on women characters who are just like these, you know, feminine creatures. Yeah, this notion of this notion of realness. And it, I mean, I, I, I think it's important to say that like, Paris is burning is like the ball scene that you see right. in Paris is burning is not uh, it's not drag in the same way mm -hmm. um it, it's not even I'm sure there's some people who would say it's not drag at all really um but this this notion of realness is very central to that and I think it's important in that to the context to to think about how you know you the the characters of the film the community in that particular movie are people who are highly marginalized they are black and brown people, they are um, queer, they are trans people, um, there will be uh, HIV positive people in that community. These are people who are told that they do not belong. Right, um, right. And what their performance is and what's so fascinating with this idea of realness is it's performing, you know, being as close as you can to what the mainstream would accept, you know, what the mainstream would consider beautiful or valuable or acceptable or whatever it might be so i mean yeah we you know we remember uh the fabulous legends like pepper Asia uh from within that scene and within that movie um but you know there there, there are also I, I love the executive realness category they have in that and that is, <laughs> yes. you know, that, is that is street kids dressing in suits and carrying right. to look like they belong on wall street yeah. and I, you know it's I, I think we said earlier, like um, drag or, you know, any of these kind of associated performances are, it's not just about deconstructing gender, it's also a means of deconstructing so many of the boxes and boundaries that we, uh, that, that society creates and that those in power insist are the correct way of living. And it's, you know, whether it's masquerade or it's high camp or it's something like uh, walking a realness category, mm -hmm. um, in a in a at a ball, um, you know, it, they're, they're they're different, but they're intertwined, and it's yes. it's, it's that it's that sense of, you know, it's that punching yeah. up in a way, but, and, um, and so in a sense, um, you cannot take away the activism. I think, I, I don't know. Do you feel that way? I mean, because I feel like to mm. address this to a heteronormative society is always mm. a constant challenge right and i feel like you know your film to me is a form of activism because it, it it's it, it's creating a visibility it's creating voice of people who aren't often seen unless you go and search for it 
or and even then it's not ever mainstream so we still have so much ways to go to understanding how um how we should kind of grapple with with gender issues and why there's so much kind of marginality within it so i don't know i mean i'm just trying to make sense of how your role in directing this film how do we as individuals people listening here or you know how we connect to our identities within our own small worlds how do we make sense of how to deconstruct ways of seeing that may need to be dismantled (laughs) (laughs) um that's another another big headspin question um on the one hand it should be so easy shouldn't it and yet somehow we managed to make it so hard yeah um I mean, I think I, I, I think certainly, yes, there is there is a level of activism to anything that um, creates visibility and gives voice to uh, marginalized people. Um, and you know you you could certainly make that argument about about drag, uh, you know the the act of going on stage and performing, it is a very defiant and very disruptive um, mode. I think though, in, in terms of, I think sometimes when we have these conversations, the, there's there's the sense of, you know, everything that people, you know, like a drug artist, just sticking with that example, that, that they have to be switched on to this idea of activism and they have a responsibility. But, you know, I, I, as I'm sure you're very, very aware, like when, um, it's it's exhausting like when you're already someone who is being pushed to the margins um to to then be told that you are responsible for your own activism protecting yourself and also for educating a a mainstream and um and yeah i I think in that regard like drag drag in terms of the performers uh, who are featured in the film, yeah, it's certainly a joyous, joyous experience and a coming together. And I think there's a, there's a, you know, for queer people, why, you know, why do we still have queer spaces? Why do we still have um, gay bars? Why do we still have pride? There's, there's a respite to being with other queer people, you know, and it's, you know, it's the same, I'm sure, for members of other uh, minority or marginalized groups, um, yeah. you know not having to explain yourself, not having to worry in the same way and so forth. Um, But of course, there's always an activist component because you're creating, you're creating visibility. Um, But that's what I mean. I don't mean activism in a sense of that kind of like protest space where we need- No, 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 I understand. Yeah, I understand what you mean. I understand what you mean. I I think the other thing I was good, uh, I I was kind of thinking about just from uh, the way you were framing it there though, was, um, you know, this this notion of educating the mainstream, it's great when the mainstream educates themselves, Um, but um, I I think also like drag, like drag artists aren't creating drag to um, educate the mainstream. They're creating drag and, you know, the same as any artist, you create your art for yourself for your community. And I think of um, kind of a celebrating kind of a space, you know, as much as it is a spectacle for people to gaze at, it is like Mm. you say, it's their choice to be able to celebrate their own bodies. And I wanted to end with maybe a focus on the body and why Mm. we should be celebrating and why we, you know, how do our bodies perform? How do we, our bodies um, tell stories, you know? Um, 
maybe you can leave some thoughts on that or your ideas of the body and how, how do our bodies um I, I don't I'm not sure I think you might need to give me a slightly more specific question well, Seems quite... um so going back to kind of drag performance you know mm. the focus is on the body the focus is mm. on the performance right yeah um and I think about any performer and their relationship with their bodies and what they're trying to have perceived or their connection to their own bodies. Like you had mentioned off air um, of Dorian um, who had something, he had to do like some fake nipples or something like that. And I was just thinking, you know, that's drawing attention to the body parts in a way mm -hmm. that you don't think about it. Like what is normative and why is it, what he, can you explain first of all, why he had to put like nipple stickers or something like that and what? Sure. Okay. Yeah, so um, it's, 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 it's a uh, censorship issue. Oh. Um, um, oh. So uh, nipples, uh, th th there's also another, uh, one of the queens in the film uh, is wearing a, uh, a large fake breastplate right. and she has to figure out how to attach some uh, little nipple covers to it uh, because the nipples are too realistic and the venue... <laughs> runs the risk of losing their license. Um, the performer runs the risk of being taken in by the police. So, so see, forth. that's really interesting. Wait, okay, so this is, is this a China thing? The censorship of not being able to have um, nude body parts, per private parts being shown? Yeah, stages, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, completely, completely that. But then that's and also so, that extra level of yeah. uh, what's real and what's not. <laughs> Right? Yeah, completely. I mean, we, we it, it's something we uh, also encounter with the film screenings that we do and, you know, other people who do similar stuff. Um, you know, we, we, we uh, it, it's a very gray area sometimes. Yeah. There's yeah. an ambiguity about, um, you know, you don't quite know what you are allowed to do or yeah. what you're not or what you can get away with and so forth. Okay, and so for example, I have another question. So there is a part in the scene um, backstage where it was an Ennis who had like this fake penis thing. Um, yes. It, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a toy. It was like some sticky thing that she stuck on the wall to just watch it play and fall yeah, off, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, it's a realistic looking penis, but it wasn't a prop for any purpose, like in terms of like a sex toy or anything like that. So in terms of China's censorship, mm. and it's because it looks realistic, like where where do you draw the line on what's able to well, be with that, Well, with, with, with um, Ennis's Packer, um, uh, it's it specifically, it, it, it's part of his costuming. So it's to stick inside of his trousers to give the illusion that he has. Oh, a, okay. So it is a prop. Okay. In, the same way, in the same way that a drag queen will often tuck uh, if okay. they if they have a penis. Got it. Um, they'll often tuck back. A drag king would use a packer. And I, I think Ennis mentions in the film that um, uh, he bought it from a, an online store that sells them primarily for trans men. So yeah. it's sort of a... It's sort of a um, uh, part of creating either gender confirmation for for trans men or um, or part of the gender illusion for a drag king. So that that particular item would not have been seen on stage. Okay. Um, but yeah, no. In terms of in terms of nipples, I mean, I think it's fascinating that uh, we had. I think it was uh, Alexia Flyer um, in the film. She's covering her nipples. Um, uh, her female-looking, very obviously fake breasts because they're so huge and shiny and. <laughs> They're clearly not real, but because they can't see, you know, be seen to be having a nude woman's breasts on the stage, 
versus Dorian, who uh, naturally has breasts, which he's pulled back and then had created realistic looking fake man's nipples just out of little bits of Band-Aid, but then was told last minute that he needed to put glitter on them. So it was obvious they weren't real nipples um, because <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know because there's still, despite the fact that Ennis is so very definitely perceived as being cisgender male, there's still the sense that they might be female nipples. So you see, there are so it, many blurry levels. It's blurry. Too. It's blurry, and this is the, this is this is the space that people operate in. Um, uh, I mean, Shanghai compared to so many other parts of the country, we enjoy a high level of freedom. Yeah. Um, in terms of what we're, we're able to do. And that's not to say that, you know, there isn't extraordinary levels of creation and community organizing in other parts of the country. There really is. Um, but, you know, we're constantly negotiating a, a, what you were calling like this blurry sort of space, this sort of yes. ambiguous gray area where, you know, it, it doesn't always make sense. You kind of know you have to do a certain thing, even with even down to language choice. Absolutely. I think this is this is this is changing, but there are still a lot of organizers who will uh, choose to primarily put out their promotion for a queer event in English. They deliberately will not have Chinese on the posters because it give, seems to give them a certain degree of protection and safety. Right. I don't know, Matthew, if you have any um, final words you'd like to share with our K2H audience. This is Matthew Barron, who is the director of Extravaganza about the uh, drag scene in Shanghai. And you've opened up such a, so multiple perspectives on, on, on gender, on identity, on, on this cross-cultural mix in this transnational space that you as a, uh, a British um, doing a collaborative uh, project in Shanghai with the backstage of the backdrop and the context to what is being shown and not shown is just so wonderfully complex. Just um, give us some final thoughts on your ideas of drag and your maybe being in Shanghai. What, do you, what would you like to leave with us? I, I would like to leave you with um, support your local drag queens and your local drag queen uh, kings and your local drag others. Um, you can find, I think, pretty much all of the performers uh, who are featured in the film on Instagram, uh, and they are definitely worth following. There is amazing, uh, amazing drag and amazing queer community, uh, not just in Shanghai, but around China. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's such a pleasure to have been invited to speak with you today. Um, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm, always excited to be able to talk about and tell people that they need to sit up and pay attention to what is happening with drag and the queer community at large in China. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Um, but yeah, you, you, it, it's worth it's worth looking at and engaging with. Absolutely. Support, support your local drag artist. Thank you so much for your time. This was really um, a very important conversation. I, I wish you the luck with all your other future projects. Thank you very much for having me. That's Matthew Barron in Shanghai.